and welcome everyone to episode 212 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined once again by Ryan and Paul, uh, doing this on a Sunday night after uh, kind of a crappy Packers game, I guess you could say. <laughs> Frustrating at the very least. Uh, yeah. But uh yeah, I, I'm sure, Paul, you're, you're going to have plenty to talk about on reporting as eligible this week. Yeah, I already started rewatching it just to see what could be taken away. Defense was good. Uh, it's hard to give, yeah. you know, say anything bad about how they played. Um, and uh, I, I think on rewatch, um, Jordan Love was still bad, but uh, <laughs> the game plan should have been much different than it was, especially after Kansas City kept getting interior pressure consistently without any trying um he played in a base shotgun offense in college that's what he's most comfortable in and you do have to learn how to play under center in Lafleur's offense because there's so much play action but they should have put him back in shotgun like the whole rest of the game after he kept getting pressure up the middle and letting himself buy himself time and they never did it so kind of a raw deal um pressure was there he was part of the cause of the pressure for that and a few other reasons too like he didn't do himself any favors holding on to the ball but uh yeah, not great. Would have liked to have seen a little bit better effort out of him. How much do you suppose they changed the game plan from before when it was supposed to be Rodgers? You know, they were coming Wednesday. up with the game plan. Yeah, <laughs> until Wednesday when they found out it was not going to be Rodgers. I don't I don't think they changed it much at all. I, I think it looked like a just LaFleur game plan. It, there was nothing really tailored to to love strengths at all. Um, it was I think it was just what they do and they wanted to see if he could do it. Or didn't have time to. Although, other than Adams not being there early in the week, he should have had close to a full week of practice. Yeah, uh, definitely plenty to talk about. We've all already had a spirited discussion in our group chat on whether or not Jordan Love <laughs> sucks. Uh, so you're going to probably want to listen to the Reporting as Eligible podcast later this week uh, just to get the whole gang's breakdown there. Definitely a lot to unpack. Um but yeah, it, stay tuned for that. We'll we'll get to the Brewers stuff here on this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plenty to digest for over the next couple of days as well. Uh, but before we dive into the Brewers offseason stuff, a reminder, as always, you can help support us and the reporting as eligible gang by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month, you help us out just a little bit there, and you get uh, question priority on both podcasts. Five bucks a month gets you that extra content as well, that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods every week where he will preview the game, I should say. Uh, Maybe rant against some press conferences by the the (laughs) team's quarterback. Uh, and Paul, you also ran a contest this week, so you have some free stuff to give away. And I yep, understand I you have the list of winners here. I do. Uh, but I do like I do like five hours of podcasts last week because of Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Called so for it. Just, just that, <laughs> I, I could use a voice break, but anyway, yeah, we ran the contest. Uh, I, I ended, by the way, I ended up with six things to give away. So you end up with six winners, and because they vary in quality from nice RAE merchandise to um, I own you Aaron Rodgers merchandise, which has taken a hit in value lately. <laughs> the order is important. So if you haven't heard from me yet, it means I'm waiting to hear from somebody above you as to what they want and you know what filters down to you. So um, our, our number one winner this this week was uh, Jason Dondelinger, longtime uh, patron, and uh, congratulations to you. I've already heard from you. Thank you for that. Second was uh, Jay Google, which is perfect. Um, third was Mr. Pinecrest. Um, <laughs> I've also heard from. We love Four, Pinecrest. Fourth yeah. was Devin Bearwolf. Um, and then 
in the danger zone to get Aaron Rodgers branded merchandise uh, at five and six. We have Steve, Yoh- Steve Johannes and Jesse Genigin or Genigin. Sorry if I butchered any names, um, but you guys, you guys won the raffle. Congratulations on that. If, like I said, if you haven't heard from me yet, don't worry. You will shortly with whatever your options are. And to those who are probably the last two and probably getting the Ionu t-shirts, sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. And we want to thank everybody who uh, signed up to become a patron. We've got a few new patrons to shout out. We'll do that at the end of this podcast. Uh, but I guess let's just dive into the baseball stuff. So since the last time we recorded this, the Braves officially won the World Series pretty easily, kind of knocking off the Astros, which I thought was kind of surprising. That deciding game was over pretty early. Uh, pretty much just the countdown to the final out after that, which I guess when a team hasn't won a World Series in a quarter century, it's kind of cool for those fans to have like a nice, easy coasting to the the end there. Um, I guess let's just start uh, quick, I guess... Uh, Ryan, your thoughts on the World Series as a whole and the Braves winning it all? I mean, it just proves the point that we've been making all along. The Braves were, I guess, you could you could be charitable and say they were the second to worst team in the playoffs ahead of the Cardinals. Though, honestly, I I don't know how true that really even is. They're, they're one yeah. of the two worst teams, clearly, in the playoffs. And they got hot, and they went through it, and... Congratulations to them, but I think it it just underscores the point that winning the postseason, winning the World Series, is not really about being the best team. And so making that the entire focus of your baseball fandom is probably going to more likely than not just drive you crazy than it will uh, make you feel great about the, the situation. The Brewers were clearly a better team than the Braves this year, and they didn't beat them. They got ousted by them very easily very early and I guess once again we're we're sitting here looking at the uh the World Series champs as being the team that took out the Brewers yeah <laughs> fun little streak there yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I guess that's fine like yeah it is now four straight right uh, I think it's four straight yeah oh no because yeah. the Dodgers it's not because Dodgers the Dodgers in 18 oh, yeah yeah, yeah right. the Dodgers did not win in 18 but the Cardinals did the Phillies in in 08 did and then obviously before that, the Cardinals in 82. So, yeah, it it's just it's baseball, man. It, it, so it is what I, it is. I got to disagree a little bit because um, it, it's one thing to say that um, that they got hot. But it I think it is more accurate to say that after they made trade deadline moves, yeah, that they did drastically improve in the first half. And this is using Major League Baseball half splits, which are not even of course um they were 44 and 45 in the first half uh, game under 500 they had a plus 19 um run scored and in the second half they went 44 and 28 which is vastly better and their their um run scored over runs against uh was well, 115 runs in the second half that they outscored I'm pretty sure I, yeah i'm pretty sure they had the second best record in baseball in the second half and maybe yeah. the best run differential so or second best run differential. Some of that certainly is luck and some of that certainly is, you know, playing your best baseball at the right time. But it, they also did alter the composition of their team pretty substantially. So um, we should, you know, give them some credit for that as well. And yes, there's obviously luck involved in the baseball postseason, but they, they also um, put themselves in a good position to make the playoffs, which was not a sure thing after the first half. 
Um, and, uh, you know, those moves paid off and, and did make them uh, much, much more formidable than they were before. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of divisions, they wouldn't have made the playoffs, though. Yeah, they wouldn't have. Like they just they because they, they got to beat up on a soft NL East and, you know, kind of just barely were better than the rest of the dregs over there. I guess towards the end of the season, they did separate themselves a little bit once it got to September. But mm-hmm. Even so, this isn't like I think Washington in 2018 has a better claim or sorry, 2019 has a better claim to this where you could say that they really were a different team in the second half. This one was more of a they had to make some changes just because they lost guys from their roster. There was no Acuna on the roster and they just they had to to shuffle some things in and out because of especially that big change and they were able to hit. But. It wasn't like anybody that they had was particularly brilliant until the postseason. It all just sort of clicked into place in the postseason with Eddie Rosario going on the run of his life, yeah. Jorge Soler going on the run <laughs> yeah, of his life. Yeah. Like it. So yeah, I mean, they do deserve credit for that, though. I think we pointed out last week that it wasn't like they sacrificed their future or anything. They just they picked up a bunch of guys, and almost everything they did worked in a mm. way that you can't really count on that being like a repeatable thing. So, I mean, they do deserve credit for having done that and for having made those moves, but it was, it, it, that was just sort of, the, that was the low hanging fruit that was out there. They made those moves and it, and it just happened to, to pay off in a big way for them. And just also, it's so distasteful. <laughs> I just hated seeing the Braves being rewarded in the, the way that that whole thing unfolded this, uh, this postseason is just, it was gross. And I just, I don't want to see that anymore. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do feel good for somebody like Freddie Freeman, right? Who seems like a genuinely good and joyous dude, and quickly pocketed that World Series ball in his back pocket, like Anthony Rizzo did when the Cubs won. Very smart man. But uh, <laughs> now the Braves are under some pretty immense pressure to re-sign him because they have failed to do so to this point, and waiting this long seems kind of weird and dumb. But. Uh, We'll see what happens with that. And, you know, I, I guess that's <laughs> just does. one of the many things. Yeah. One of the many things that we're looking forward to this offseason uh, to see how it gets resolved if it does. Um, so on that note, Brewers got started right away, I guess, uh, quickly signing Trevor Gott to a minor league contract. So, hey, first signing on the books, uh, Trevor Gott, uh, I don't I guess don't really know what the brewers have got in trevor got ryan what, what did they get yeah what do they get here so uh, uh, don't let's not hey james too much for that because it's impossible not to make a pun talking yes. about this like <laughs> you, i like deciding just for that yeah in fact we should we should like applaud and hey anybody who manages to avoid making a god pun for god but anyway <laughs> back to ryan since i know absolutely nothing about trevor got at all <laughs> So basically what I'm going to say here is that they're getting the right pedigree. They're going after a guy who the Giants saw something in and weren't able to turn it into anything. And he did get a couple of years in 2019, 444 ERA over 52 innings. In the 2020 crazy-ass season, ERA over 10 over 11 innings. Really, his uh, strikeout and walk ratio basically – met right in the middle and it wasn't pretty and then he didn't ever make the majors this year which is why the brewers were able to sign him so quickly but the fact that the giants saw something in him and wanted him around uh means that the brewers also see a lot of those same things in him 
and they're going to give it a whirl as well and see what they can produce out of it. And it is noteworthy that they decided to give him a major league contract. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, he's going to be on the, the, the opening day roster or anything, but it, it's a pretty good indication of them thinking that there's a very high likelihood that he is a guy that they're going to depend on this year. So I think that we can look forward to you know, him getting a good, strong chance to stick with the organization in spring training, whenever that is. Yeah, it's sort of like the first step of kind of rebuilding that middle yep. relief, right? Uh, you know, Brad Boxberger is a free agent. Don't know if he's going to be around, but you need some of those types to kind of fill in those middle innings there. So, and I think you make a good point too. The fact that they went out and got him right away as soon as they could probably shows that there was something that about him that they really liked or something that they could work with in the pitching lab, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so... There you go for signing off the board right away. Uh, <laughs> then we also had uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., of course, exercising his player option. I don't think any of us are surprised at that after the year that he had. <laughs> nope, he's going to take the guaranteed Not at money. All. Uh, lost out on a gold glove to Harrison Bader tonight. So uh, I don't think anybody actually expected him to win that. The joke well, he didn't hit he, well enough he, to win a gold yeah, glove. Yeah, yeah, that's the joke, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at least another finalist there, some recognition that he did do something well in last year. Obviously, they're going to hope that he can find the bat. I know David Stearns in his year-end press conference you know, expressed some optimism there, saying everybody knows he's a better hitter than that, and they hope to see that again next year. But uh, I guess the bigger news of the outfield, of course, Avi Garcia opted out of his half of that mutual option uh, that vested in this last year. And then the Brewers, I guess, maybe surprisingly, did not offer him the qualifying offer before the deadline. I know there was a lot of talk earlier in the week about what the Brewers should do with that, that qualifying offer, I think, a little north of $18 million this year, right? So About 18 uh, and a half, James. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it would have been a significant pay bump for Avi, but... Uh, maybe a calculated risk the brewers could see if they could get a draft pick out of it but also decent chance he would take that so i guess um first of all paul are you surprised that they didn't offer the qualifying offer to him i'm not um because i think that they like to have certainty over their um multi-million is not quite the right word because it's not enough but over their big million spends and uh I don't think, frankly, that Avi Garcia is worth eighteen and a half million a year. Uh, it, I mean, it's probably actually close to about exactly what he's worth, but they don't pay that to people who are exactly what they're worth, and um, that uh, that's that was going to be too, too much for for him. So I'm not surprised that they didn't offer it. I think that there's a good chance that he would have taken it, and uh, I think it's kind of as simple as that. It, it puts a lot of uncertainty to their books if they do that offer, and uh, I think that they probably want to go with cheaper. Uh, options i I like avi garcia a lot i think he played very well last year i think he was one of the better offensive players on a team that didn't have a lot and he'll he'll be hard to replace but that said he's not great he's just he's he's good he's he's the moustakis level of star and they don't overpay for those guys as we've seen with guys like mike moustakis (laughs) not surprising Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much exactly that and they wanted to leave themselves flexibility because this is an interesting free agent market there's a lot of people out there 
and we don't know exactly what the landscape is going to look like, and I think they are somewhat confused by it as well. The fact that they were thinking about it with Avi Garcia, that they were seemed to be legitimately mulling it over, they didn't make an announcement right away on it, means that I think they were really, they're still trying to get a feel for what the market is shaping up to look like, and I think they got some hints in the Wade Miley uh deal where the Cubs uh, basically picked him yeah. up for nothing from the Reds because the Reds wanted to shed that 10 million in salary. I think that was a good clue towards what is likely to be the the market this year. It definitely puts the Cubs in the they're going to spend some money category, which they need to, obviously, because th- what they're doing was embarrassing. So they, <laughs> they need to get on that. But I think it's starting to shape up a little bit. People are starting to get a little bit of an idea. Uh, did you catch among other interesting things that the Colorado Rockies who did not trade John Gray at the deadline because <laughs> they wanted to, uh, bring him back for next year, decided not to make him a qualifying offer. <laughs> so the Rockies continue uh, to Rocky. Yep. They're going to lose him for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, the Reds put Wade Miley on waivers, not just to avoid what the 10 million salary, but they didn't even want to pay $2 million for a buyout. They're just like, get this out of our hands right away and so, the cubs I jumped mean, right out and, and grabbed it so that was you know good on them for doing that though people did point out that the cubs were fourth or fifth on the waiver wire order and you know teams like the marlins and the pirates all let him just go by and that was uh, a bad look but yep he's a weird one like so I, I forget who pointed this out on twitter but wade miley's war stats are like the most inconsistent war stats in the league <laughs> And all of the three major ones have him as a vastly different player. Yep. So uh, I think it really profile. depends on. Yeah, I think it depends on what sort of which level and which th- which underlying things you trust in your war. And um, well, that's because Fangraphs war is very much based on sort of the runs expected versus Baseball Reference's war, which is much more of a what actually happened sort of calculation. And then Baseball Perspectives, I think, somewhat splits the difference with a little bit of a nudge towards the expected i think that's right um but it's it's still fascinating that they're that much off like i i know i know it's a framework and i know lots of different things go into it but i I do feel like they should agree more and i I think it's hard to say anybody really screwed up or didn't screw up with wade miley for that reason because i think uh nobody can project him going forward apparently so i like wade miley but um you know i don't like it when my, my metrics disagree that much on anything Sure. Yeah. He's definitely been a weird case for a few years now. Definitely outperforming all the other metrics. Uh, but yeah, we'll be seeing him a lot more, I guess, as a Cub. I mean, we saw him with the Reds too, but good old friend Wade Miley. I I, I want to circle back to Avi Garcia too, because we do have some questions about it. We got a question on Twitter from Michael Hank. Uh, just kind of summing up this entire thing. <laughs> He's saying, explain <laughs> the lack of a qualifying offer to Garcia. Uh, is it a sign that the market is going to be such that he might take it? And is that such a risk that the free draft pick isn't worth that risk? Is it a commitment to Tyrone Taylor or just being nice to Avi? Uh, <laughs> Paul, I guess your assessment on what it says about the market as a whole. Uh, I think just that there is a lot of uncertainty. And um, I, if the if we're, we're talking about even like a middle market team, I think that maybe they, they see Avi as, oh, he's, he's pretty good. This is you know not too bad, and if nothing else, we get a draft pick, and that's fine, and can absorb the cost for the player, um, and you know get good production. But 
the brewers are not that way and they do try and get you know more production than they pay at pretty much every spot and i i think when you sit down and crunch numbers uh it's uncertainty plus the that money being essentially what he's worth so there's risk plus you know buying at market value uh, more or less there and that's why they whether so i don't think it tells you much about the market overall um other than there is some uncertainty still out there but it, it does tell you about the brewers which is that they don't want to spend 18 million dollars um on someone who is good but not great ryan yeah are you bummed ryan that they didn't risk the draft pick being the prospect guy or not really <laughs> no i'm not i I honestly, I think that it's overwhelmingly likely he would have accepted the offer, and I think that mm. largely comes down to timing because of the way this year is going to work out. Players are going to get to five days after the World Series ends, they get to become free agents and start looking around, so I think it, it actually is tomorrow. Is that mm. is my math on that correct? I think it's it's coming up pretty quickly here that players are going to be able to start accepting deals. I think that's why the the deadline was on Sunday today for teams to make the qualifying offer decision. But the players then have a good long time. They get to be on the market for a few weeks, see what kind of offers they're getting based on their qualifying offer status before they have to make the decision. And that would also come before the lockout happens. So my thinking is that he probably would have found very little action on the market. They would have seen a lot of teams kind of waiting and seeing what what was going to happen based on how things were playing out and what happens with the CBA. And they would have said going you know, into that, they would have looked at it and said, you know what, we're just going to take the $18 million. It's a good salary for one year. Hit the free agent market again next year, free and clear. So I think that the Brewers looked at it like there was every chance he was going to accept and that we, we have more questions on this later. But given their payroll situation, uh, $18 million would, I think, take up most of their wiggle room in this winter in, in terms of salary. So they would have basically been done before they had done just about anything, before yep. anything had transpired in the offseason. And I think that based on what is available this winter in the free agent market, that would have probably been a mistake because I think there are, there are likely to be better opportunities. And again, that is not a knock on Avi. It's $18 million is absolutely something he deserves. His yeah. production, he, he deserves more than that, to be very clear here. But as Paul said, the way that this works is the Brewers are looking for bargains. They are bargain hunting all over the place, and it's a big part of Stern's MO as a GM, and it's a big part of why he's been successful. So this is not surprising at all, and I don't think we should read anything into it in terms of what we think they're spending for this winter is going to be other than I guess we we could say pretty safely they're not going to go like to 160 million or something, but we never mm-hmm. thought that was going to happen anyway. Sure, uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that transpires too, because uh, I have a feeling there's going to be quite a few guys who might take that qualifying offer just not knowing what's on the other side of the lockout, right? So you may as well just grab that quick 18 million while you can, instead of waiting to see if a market material. Lizes, right mm-hmm. yeah. chris taylor come on down yep indeed yeah exactly uh all right so i guess speaking of the free agents and free agency starting soon avi is definitely one of them now but the brewers also stand to lose a whole bunch of names uh eduardo escobar manny pina brad boxberger as i mentioned hunter strickland brett anderson daniel norris all free agents paul any of those names are you interested in bringing them back 
So first, the boring answer. It depends on what they cost. So um, <laughs> now, now the non-boring answer. Um, I, I like Eduardo Escobar kind of a lot for them. Um, and mm-hmm. they, uh, he, he has that versatility that they really like. Um, he can play some first and some third and has good pop. Um, I do like him. And I have, I mean, I'm like the Brewers. I don't know what any, anybody's going to cost. But I could see scenarios where Eduardo Escobar doesn't cost that much. Um, he is, I think, most useful in a sort of super utility platoon power guy role, and the Brewers use that more than a lot of other teams do. Um, what, he's still a good player, so he may get paid more than they want, but I like him, and I think he fits well. Um, and I like Manny Pena. I, I think he's one of the best backup catchers in baseball, and I would like to have him back. I think he calls a good game, and he's excellent defensively and also shouldn't cost a ton. So um, I, I would like to have him back. He's fun. He has a good nickname. Um <laughs> I, I don't care for Brett Anderson uh, as a pitcher. He seems like an awesome guy, um, but uh, there are a million Brett Andersons out there. So whatever. And then Boxberger and Strickland um, are just yeah, middle reliever type guys. And if they come back or don't come back, that's fine. Cause there's a billion of those too. And I never want to see Daniel Norris again, as long as I live. So. <laughs> <laughs> no love for the van man. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, kind of got the sense the brewers don't want to see him either when they left him off the playoff roster right yeah i mean yeah there was no chance he was going to make the playoff roster given how he pitched for them at that point i don't know hunter uh, hunter strickland's interesting i think more interesting as a pitcher than brad boxberger to me but i don't know there's still all that old chatter about what a red ass he was from his days in san francisco and i don't know if that still rubs teammates the wrong way like it did back then or not I, I don't exactly yeah. know, but it, it probably not as, as bad a situation as it used to be. But I, I would still they would be in a much better position to judge that. But yeah, the guy here that is most interesting is Eduardo Escobar because of the versatility, because of the pop, uh, frankly, because he fits in somewhat to the non uh, if we're going in a, a lower strikeout direction. He seems to be a guy that he's not a low strikeout guy. But if you look at, you know, sort of where he's been, he's also not a high strikeout guy. He's, he's you know, a tick uh, above average, I guess, better than average in terms of strikeouts. So he could fit into that sort of a, of a retooling and a reimagination of what they're going to do as well. I just don't know if he would want to come here, given that I don't think there's really a place for him uh, yeah. full time. Like he doesn't have a wouldn't have a set position because Colton Wong is the second baseman. Willie Adamas is the shortstop. And. I think Luis Urias is the third baseman, don't you? At this rate, I think you kind of have to treat him that way, yeah. I mean, Urias had a very good season. It started very slow, too. And if you look at what he did after moving off of shortstop, he had a very good season. So, yeah. And, you know, age-wise, he's he's in that age period where you would expect he's still growing into you know, what he's going to become. <laughs> so there might even be some more ceiling there. Uh, though hard to imagine the power keeps getting better, but, you know, Stranger things have happened. Jose Altuve was an MVP, so whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't depend on if there's a DH or not, too. I think that's kind of the missing part of all this math, right? And part of True. why I think maybe the free agency market's going to be kind of slow, you know? I mean, we saw J.D. Martinez opt into his deal with the Red Sox kind of surprisingly because he doesn't know what his market's going to be mm-hmm. DH-wise, so... Uh, we'll just kind of have to see that. But yeah, I would love to see Escobar back. I think he brings power, which the team desperately needs, especially if they're going to lose Avi Garcia. 
you know, somebody's going to have to provide some pop. And mm -hmm. like you guys said, he's just so versatile. Um, just a good piece to have. But yeah, maybe he finds a full-time job someplace else. We'll see. Uh, plenty of other payroll questions coming up in our Patreon questions here. We've got Jay Google, of course, and he's just asking, uh, what do you expect the opening day payroll to be at? So, Ryan, what's your best guess on that? So I was just looking at it right now, and Spotrack does a really good job of this. I generally prefer COTS baseball contracts this time of year, but the thing Spotrack does well is they figure in what the uh, estimated um, arbitration numbers are going to be and get mm -hmm. those in there. So right now they have us at an opening day salary around 105 million. So give or take a little bit on that, but they have us at about 105 million. And I would expect if they're sticking right in the middle of payrolls and there isn't a huge movement in terms of what's going on with other teams at this point, I would expect them to get an opening day payroll somewhere in the 120 to 125 million dollar range. So, like I said with Avi, if they'd given him that 18 million, that eats up basically all of the discretionary spending that I'm guessing that they've given themselves for this winter. So, that would be why they didn't do that. Yeah, I was going to say buck 25. So, dead on right there with you. Yeah, it might make for kind of a quiet off season, but I think we've kind of talked about it before too and we might have some questions coming up that you know, that a lot of the roster is basically set. You've got all those pre-arb and arb guys. So you're kind of just adding around the edges here and trying to make improvements where you can, right? Uh, that kind of leads me. Right now, uh, the projected opening day payroll, now this is a little bit off because this is on COTS. They have it at $116 million, but that might be not reflecting that Avi opted out. In fact, I'm almost positive mm -hmm. that's what that's reflecting. Yep, I think you're right. But they have that as the 13th highest payroll in baseball. So... yeah. I I would guess if you had to put an over under on that, I would say north of that would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. There you go. All right. Uh, our next Patreon question comes from Brian Polakowski, uh, kind of talking about uh, adding some impact here. He's asking if the Bre Brewers trade a pitcher for an impact bat, which pitcher do you think is most likely to be dealt? Ryan, I know your answer, so I'm going to start with Paul. <laughs> Um, well, I always am contractually obligated to say Josh Hader, so <laughs> we'll, we'll start with that. Um, and that actually might be my real answer too, because well, I get I get the you do have to trade good to get good, and they need bats and they have pitching, and I could definitely see scenarios where they where they move Woodruff. So if they if you're going to pick a, a starter in some kind of blockbuster where they get back a true impact bat, that's my pick there. Um, I think Woodruff is. Um, he gets you the most bang for your buck. His ceiling's not as good as Burns. He's kind of more of a workhorsey guy. And not that he's bad at all. He's very good. But uh, Burns is your high ceiling guy. Peralta fetches less because he's a little more inconsistent. Um, and uh, so it, it would be Woodruff. However, um, I think first you, you try and see what you can get out of Josh because as I've been saying for many, many years now, at some point his arm's going to explode. And uh, he is getting less and less useful as he becomes closer man who can't go two days in a row. So um, I uh, I try and do that first if I'm them and uh, go from there. But out of the starters, I could see Woodruff possibly moving. But it would take a, obvi obviously take a, a lot to get Woodruff off of this team. Yeah, here's the thing. When you say uh, trade a pitcher for an impact bat, 
I don't think Adrian Hauser, Lauer, some other guys that could potentially move right. from the back end, they're not bringing <laughs> back an impact bat. I think right. the, the way is to get impact bats. There's four guys here that you could trade to get an impact bat, and that's Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, and Hader. And Peralta, largely because he has such a great contract, he's locked in for pennies over the next like four or five years. So yeah. that would be why he, he just has a ton of surplus value because of that fantastic contract. Whereas you're going to have to pay closer to a going rate for guys like Burns and Woodruff because of the fact that they don't have contracts. They're going to be going through arbitration and are going to be handsomely rewarded for some of the numbers that they've put up. So, yeah, I think that really, though, if you if you are seeing the most likely guy to get dealt, it is Hater. That's that is the answer. And I think that's also because you know, we know that there was some grumbling. There's some there's some dislike in the front office of having to use him the way they're using him. And that that is not the way they would prefer to use him, but they're doing it because that's what needs to happen so that he can get paid because the arbitration system is so damn stupid. So I think that that just pushes the needle even further. I think if you're going to make a move from a starter, I think Woodruff I was talking about it again this week. There's a, a <laughs> wonderful or many wonderful trades that could be made with the Blue Jays on that front. But it is less likely than, you know, moving Hater someplace just because they could probably get something interesting done that way. So and Hater seems to have more of a push out of the organization as opposed to Woodruff, who, as far as we know, there's there's nothing pushing him, you know, out. Yeah, we'll definitely see how that plays out. Uh, on the free agency end, we've got a question from Ted Johnson. He says, here's a list of free agents. Would you please analyze the pros and cons <laughs> as well as the viability the Brewers have of signing them? So I'll just go through his list one by one here. Let's start, Paul, with Nick Castellanos. Uh, viability, pros and cons. Fantastic. Uh, a very good player. Uh, it would fit right in. Will cost a lot of money. Um, I have to come up with something else because that's going to be my analysis for all of these people. Um, <laughs> uh, Nick, Nick Castellanos, I, I think, is um, a legitimate, just barely under superstar level player. Personally, like him a lot, and uh, he's fun because you can make T-shirts. Um, and any I was going to say the memes are yeah, a, a you can make you can, factor here. You can make up any uh, budget shortfall a little bit by selling meme T-shirts about Nick Castellanos. So that's good too, um, but probably going to be prohibitively expensive would be my guess but i not in the realm of uh, i mean he's not going to be so like super duper yankees only kind of guy so you know maybe maybe if they decide to go a little higher payroll wise uh possibly kyle seager uh i think will cost too much that that uh, I, I I'll be perfectly honest. I have not looked up Kyle Seeger numbers in a while, but my impression <laughs> of Kyle Seeger is the reason I don't do it is because I assume he's super awesome and will cost too much for my team to ever have. Right, wait a second. Hold on. Both Kyle yep. and Corey Seeger are on the free agent market this year. Who are oh, you no. thinking of? I might be thinking of Corey Seeger. <laughs> Shoot. I think, I think, I think you're thinking I, of Kyle Corey. I'm definitely yeah, thinking of Corey Seeger. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I just mentioned that was the next on Ted's list. I was going to go one by one, but I'll just rattle him off because Paul, you were going to start going down anyway. Um, okay. So it's Kyle Seeger, Avi Garcia, Anthony Rizzo, Eduardo Escobar, Eddie Rosario. That's his list. Yeah. So there are too many Seegers in baseball. That is too many Seegers. Yeah. Well, Kyle is the, the elder Seeger and the one who had a somewhat of a renaissance season last year. But I don't think that that 285 on base percentage coming in a renaissance season 
is yeah. anything that I want the Brewers to yeah. get involved in. That's yes, so there was pop there. 35 home runs in Seattle is no shit power. But, man, I'm that 285 just I, that's hard for me to move past. And like we were just talking about, he's a third baseman and we have a third baseman. Yeah. In fact, we have maybe, you know, multiple third baseman, depending on what they decide to do with Escobar. So I don't think Seager really fits from a viability standpoint. Yeah, if he loses a little bit of power, that uh, that sla- slash line does not play at all. So agreed. Yep. I mean, he I'm hit. Like- it was a very weird year because this year the numbers were 212, 285, 438. In 2020, it was 241, 355, 433. Just very, very strange what happened there where he all of a sudden (laughs) sold out completely for power and just saw a a 60, no, a 70-point drop in his on-base percentage. That's wild. His on-base percentage is all over the map for his career. I'm not (laughs) sure I've ever seen anything quite so inconsistent. Yeah, well, I mean, it. a lot of it, it seems to track somewhat with the the batting average bouncing around quite a a bit i think he's a very babbit dependent player that way and that would be because he does strike out a pretty hefty amount so eh, yeah i guess he 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 struggled a lot more last year than he had in previous years 161 and 670 plate appearances that was that was hefty He's also pretty consistently been like the lone threat in that lineup. So if teams are kind of pitching around him and he's not taking the walks, that could maybe do a number on that line too. Yeah, though this year that changed a lot because that lineup got quite a bit better and Seattle was pretty yeah, it good. It was decent this year. So yeah, he sold out for the contract year. I he it looks like he did exactly that. Like he said, <laughs> I'm going to go hell for leather on power and that is exactly how it worked out. Like he was able to make that trade off perfectly and yikes that on base percentage yeah all right so ted also brings up avi garcia i know we said for 18 million maybe not uh but do you think maybe they'd look at him again at maybe a number lower than that ryan yeah i think both he and castellanos could find their way on the team if the market materializes in a certain way where I think the Brewers would be very willing to, if they could get one of those guys back on a smaller contract for this year, knowing that next year they have Lorenzo Cain coming off the books and they have Mm -hmm. Jackie Bradley Jr. mostly coming off the books, though there's some weirdness with that option. By the way, that Jackie Bradley Jr. contract, you need like, I think you need to be a lawyer to truly understand it. I sat there and stared at it for a while. (laughs) There's so many if-then situations in there. It's like computer programming. It's insane. So, uh, but... They do have a bunch of money specifically in the outfield coming off after next season, so they would have a lot more room to be able to work with that, but you would need to feel better about them having some internal options, I think, for like especially center field, and I don't know. Do you guys think Tyrone Taylor or Garrett Mitchell are like guys you want to see as the starting center fielder come 2023? Paul's face every time we mention Tyrone Taylor, I think, gives away his so, answer. Okay, I have, I have a new appreciation for Tyrone Taylor. He had a very good season. He's a righty thumper, but uh, I don't want him starting every day in center field. I, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Plus, no, he's, and you he's, not, he's, he's not young. He's old at this point. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of funny because I was looking up all the ages of everybody, right? So, obvious, what, 30? Uh, Nick Castellanos is like six months younger, something mm-hmm. small like that. But then Tyrone Taylor's freaking 27 
Yep. Like he's not a young prospect. Anymore. Well, no, I mean, he's he was drafted he young, but that was in 2012. He was drafted as a 17 year old <laughs> in 2012. So it took him a while to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he might be a decent stopgap while you hope and pray Garrett Mitchell gets ready. But yeah. Oh, I, I think he's a he's a fantastic like fourth, fifth outfielder to have around, yeah, especially when you're paying sure. him league minimum. But yeah. I don't think you necessarily want him to be the guy you're hoping to get 500 plate appearances out of in center field. That seems like a, probably a bridge too far. Yeah, I don't see it either. All right. Uh, how about Anthony Rizzo? How fun would that be, Paul? <laughs> I, I am down with this idea and very pro Anthony Rizzo. Uh, we, we haven't had a kind of good, legit pedigree at first base for quite a while now. Um, and, uh, I think he would also just torture the Cubs. I have, I just have a feeling <laughs> right. that he, he would torture the Cubs mercilessly every single time that they played. Um, I, as I always say, his bat would play very well in Miller Park. I'm not going <laughs> to look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure it has played really well in Miller Park. Um, and and yeah. just like a, a perfect fit for a team that struggled to have consistent first base play for a very long, long time. And I don't think he'd cost that much. He's had a couple down seasons in a row. He's 31. First baseman tend not to make tons of money. Uh, right he's about this 31? age. I, think so. I swear I think, to God, he was like entering, 35. He's been around he's forever. entering his age 32 season, if I okay. my memory is good. Well, he I came up with the Padres at 21. So Yeah, yeah I was going to say, he's just been around forever. He was so a he high school kid. like he should be 35, but yeah. Yeah. And well, he was also a guy that everybody knew because he bounced between Boston and then to San Diego and then to... I think, Chicago. Yeah. Jed Hoyer had him three different times, right? Yep. Like with Boston, San Diego, and Chicago. <laughs> yeah, 2022 will be his age 32 season. So which is a good sweet spot for first baseman uh on a on a bargain. It's when people stop paying them big money, but they still often have a little bit left in the tank. I agree, obviously, because I've been driving the Anthony Rizzo bandwagon all offseason. I think that he is very interesting from the perspective of if you really are looking to cut down on strikeouts and become more of a lineup built around contact. And if you want that to rub off on other players in the lineup, perhaps uh, Rizzo would be a good one, I think, to do that, because I think he has that leader qualities, the the anti-vax nonsense aside. Yeah, yeah. I think he has some of that with him. And I think it would he would be the kind of guy if we're going all in on Paul's theory here about the problems with Yelich being largely mental. If you bring in Anthony Rizzo and Anthony Rizzo basically says to Yelich, hey, we got to get back to like what you were doing before and let's let's, you know, work on approach. And it takes the pressure off of Yelich too. like Anthony Rizzo becomes like the middle of the lineup guy. Yelich doesn't have to feel like he's the the lefty bat in the middle of the lineup that has to do it all there. It gives him a little bit of of a of a push there and allows him maybe to take a little bit of the pressure off and all that. So I think it would probably be a good move in terms of overall makeup of the lineup. And he really is a guy. He does not strike out that much. I'm looking at this right now. In 2021, in 576 plate appearances, he had 87 strikeouts. In 2019, it was 613 plate appearances, he had 86. Like, he hasn't struck out over 100 times in a season since 2016. So, yeah. the guy the guy doesn't strike out a ton. He plays good defense at first base, which is always nice. A very useful thing to have. And I think would just be a very good fit with them. What they're probably going to need in that case, though... And I think this is where Mark Antanasio might be a, a secret weapon. 
Notice how the guys that we think Mark Antanasio played a big role in bringing into this team over time were guys that came from the division and were guys who tormented the Brewers from within the division. <laughs> think about it. Kyle Loesch, Matt Garza, um, Jeff Supon, uh, uh, Aramis Ramirez. All those guys had Mark's fingerprints on them. And I think if if this was a thing that they decided they really wanted – they could sell it to Rizzo, and I would suspect this would happen late in the winter. If Rizzo's yeah. market doesn't really materialize, and we're sitting there in the weeks right before whatever spring training happens, if, if it just doesn't really work out that way, I could see Mark Antanasio being like, hey, I just want to get this guy, and I'm going to basically make this an exception to whatever you know your payroll situation is, and we're just going to bring him in. And I could definitely see that sort of thing happening. And him coming in now, if if his market goes to, you know, three or four years, that's probably not going to happen. But if you could get him for one or two, maybe two with an option, something like that, I think Rizzo could be very viable and could be very important to transforming the lineup in the way that I think they probably want to go. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I think I like the idea, too, but I just worry that. If it's a situation where he's going to take a one or two year deal and the Cubs are still out there and they've kind of always kept that door open a little bit, I still feel like he may end up back there. You know, have they kept the door open? I, I, I feel like a no, lot no. of the Cubs that are free agents right now kind of hate the Cubs. I think they <laughs> hate the Cubs owners more than anything. I mean, it could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I Rizzo seem more likely than the other basis. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's my general impression is that they're not a franchise people want to go to right now. No, and especially Rizzo, he feels he got shortchanged by Cubs ownership on uh, it's true. the contract. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That he he yeah, thought that true. they should have offered more than the seventy million dollar deal that they did, and you know from a, a pure dollars and cents standpoint, they probably shouldn't have offered that. But from a here's the guy that was integral in winning you your first World yeah. Series, and you're the fucking Cubs, they absolutely should have done <laughs> it and just given him yeah. the you know the the deal that they didn't give him in his you know the years when he was really helping them a lot and just do it and shut up about it yeah uh while we were talking too i looked up his career splits in milwaukee uh, i guess not as great as we maybe remember because there's been so many like big moments but overall 237 315 471 in 72 games he does have 16 home runs there which i believe is third highest of any visiting park great american ballpark and pnc well, park the only two he has more pnc than he has at at miller slash amfam that's surprising. Yeah, 17 in pittsburgh compared to 16 in um, milwaukee so I it's suppose. basically a wash but pittsburgh's pitching uh, has been shit for a big part of that so Exactly, exactly. Uh, 12 in Bush Stadium for what it's worth, but we've also talked about how bad that stadium is for hitting. So there's that. All right. Uh, kind of quickly running down the other two here. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, we kind of talked about. Uh, I guess how viable is it, Ryan, contract-wise, do you think? I think it's going to be more a situation of having a place for him to play because I don't mm -hmm. think he wants to come in and be anybody's 350 plate appearance guy at this point. So sure. they would they would need to have something worked out there. Having a DH would be a big help on that front. Yeah. And isn't he like 32 or something like that? So this might be his last big chance for a contract, right? So that might be a factor there too as well. Uh, yeah. Paul, how about the last one here? Uh, Eddie Rosario. 
Um, I am so Eddie Rosario is a good player. Um, and I've I've actually seen him a lot when he was a twin. Um, and mm-hmm. he's he is a a a decent uh, corner outfielder. Um, but he does lack a little bit in the on base skills, and he's coming off his not his best season, but his run with Atlanta where he uh, he had a 903 OPS to finish out the season with them. Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried it'll color his markets a little bit and some dumb team will pay him too much. Um, <laughs> right. If he's paid like what he's worth, which is you know a slightly above average corner outfielder, then yeah, he might be worth going going and getting. But uh, he, he's he's not a great defensive player. He's He's okay, but he's not great. Uh, he's getting up there a little bit. I know we've talked about some 30-year-olds. He's 29, but um, I wouldn't go out of my way to sign Eddie Rosario. Um, if he happened to be a bargain, he can certainly be a useful player. He, he probably would actually fit pretty well in Miller Park as well. Um, but uh, he, I don't like signing guys coming off of big big hero ball stuff, which he is. And um, he does strike out a lot. Um, and his, mm. I, I, I don't... I know the Brewers sign a lot of them, but I actually don't like low OPS, high slugging guys. I'm kind of sick of them, and he is that. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that, again, this is one of those things where if you're talking about a guy, if you're trying to get away from strikeouts, he could fit in that sense because he isn't a big strikeout guy. He's also not a guy who gets on base very well, so not really my type of guy. But if they see something there, if they see something that fits with what they want to do, I could be okay with it. It's all going to be how much money that costs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he still, despite the heroics, did strike out a bit in the off or in the postseason. But also, I guess out of everybody on this list, like the Brewers have been interested in him before. They did chase him last winter, remember? And they, yep, they did. Uh, lost him because they asked him to play first base, and Cleveland was like, "We'll let you play in the outfield." Uh, he's never played first base before. He was one of the Many people, the Brewers kind of maybe hilariously tried to sway <laughs> to play first base because that's the one open spot they had. Didn't work out. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's a case of they saw something they liked before. So maybe that interest continues. But uh, I guess maybe even after Avi Garcia opted out, if you're looking for him in that role, maybe he could be a fit. But yeah, Paul, I'm worried with you that somebody's going to overpay for October, right? Like, that, that always seems to happen with those kind of guys. So, Yep, it does. All right. Uh, PJ Wessels asking, what is your dream free agent signing this offseason? And then is Pena going to be hard to replace? Paul, what would be your dream free agent signing? Um, is is it, So I remember this. Is Chris Bryant a free agent as well? As of now, yeah. As, as yeah. of now, he would be my dream. Um, (laughs) for all the reasons we talked about with Anthony Rizzo, but also um, because there's kind of no one more versatile than Chris Bryant, who Mm -hmm. kind of can, has been asked to play everywhere and has played everywhere. And I also think might benefit from not playing quite so much everywhere. And I think uh, in this one particular instance, the Brewers may actually accommodate that better than the Cubs did with him because they really did jerk him all over the field. And I think at least the Brewers would, uh, well, they'd probably still use him everywhere, but I'm guessing that they could sit him at first base much more frequently where they don't have that many good players with an occasional platoon shot in the outfield. And I still think he's got plenty in the tank. I think he's been unhappy for a long time. 
uh, I, I mentioned uh, people generally not liking the Cubs and not knowing specifically who that was. But Chris Bryant is that guy. He he does mm-hmm. not like the Cubs. He was openly bitter about um, their management generally. They're messing around with his service time, um, and uh, he would he would stick it to them. And I I think also maybe didn't play quite as well because he was unhappy being in Chicago. So I like him as a bounce back guy. He will cost an arm and a leg, but this is the dream question. So I don't care. <laughs> yep. And I'm going to go the same direction. I think Chris Bryant would be the dream. And I don't think it's going to happen because I do think he wants to be on the West Coast. And I think he's going to sign with the Dodgers or probably the Giants. I would say it's yeah. almost I would I would bet money on the Giants versus the field at this point. Right. He was he was one of the Vegas guys, right? He and Bryce Harper were both out yep. of Vegas. They were yeah, little so, little yeah. leaguers together. They're both Boris guys. I think that the yeah. Giants will uh, pony up for him and that'll work out great, especially with Buster retiring. Yeah, they kind of oh, need yeah. that guy, right? <laughs> well, they have <laughs> they have room for a face of the franchise guy, and he's exactly the kind of guy that you could sort of get at that point where he's been a little bit disappointing in the first half of his career, but obviously has still shown great potential. I I shouldn't even say shown great potential. He's got an MVP. An an MVP. (laughs) Like, yeah. So yeah, he, yeah, he's definitely, I think probably tops of the list, but in my mind, I had already crossed him off because he's, Already with the Giants in my mind. So when I saw this, I my mind went to Castellanos. I guess I've been kind of banging that drum for a little bit now. Uh, kind of thinking, you know, if the Brewers are considering giving Avi Garcia 18 million, what's giving Castellanos 20, 22 million or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously a defensive downgrade there, but I'm with Paul that I think the bat is potentially just below superstar level. Uh, just every time, and maybe that's just, you know, recency bias with me seeing him kill the Brewers almost every single time. Uh, but he's just always seemed like a, a really solid hitter, uh, somebody that it's really hard to be disappointed with. And if I think you're going to spend big money in free agency, I think that's the route I would like to see the team go. All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Asletam. Uh, they're asking which new CBA possibility impacts the Brewers front office plans or competitive window more. The players reach arbitration a year earlier or players become free agents a year earlier. Paul, what's your take on that one? Um, so in terms of their competitive window, it's probably guys becoming free agents a year earlier, though neither is great. Um, so um, the only reason that would just drive some expense, especially in their pitching staff, to hit more quickly. Uh, but, but the reason neither is great is because the Brewers love to attack, uh, not attack, love to try and trade for acquire players that are just short of uh, arbitration eligible that are sort of major league ready they don't really trade for uh, prospects that are way down in the system they go for guys who are you know close and this would mess that up Um, that would this would start to mess up that market it would take it would make it would shrink it drastically if guys are um, getting paid earlier and getting into rb earlier so um, neither of these is good for the Brewers. Both of these are good for players. They're not good for small markets. That, that's the thing here. Um, this is a player-friendly thing if it happens. So, um, there. That's kind of that's kind of that. But I, I do think, um, guys getting out of arbitration earlier, getting to free agency earlier, would be what ends up hurting them slightly more. Yeah, I completely agree on that, and I think that. I actually threw this out on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw this. I was asking a little bit 
who can you think of that were brewers who they basically salary dumped in arbitration? And the closest I could get was Corey Knebel this last year. Yeah. Where that was pretty much a pure salary dump. Most of the other ones were cases of guys who were not uh, who were not performing. And Knebel even was also that. He was coming off of a bad year in 2020 yeah. and health issues and all of that and was better with the Dodgers but also missed – you're talking about playoff starter Corey Knebel there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that it, for the Brewers, it's definitely the the side of things where they don't have a problem. They're not like the 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 Rays and the A's who oftentimes will move guys when they get to like the second and third year of arbitration because they don't want to pay them anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not the Brewers don't do that. They they might trade a guy, but it's for other reasons, like the J.J. Hardy situation back in 2010 when they were like, we have a guy coming up behind him and we we like Carlos Gomez and we want to get him for Hardy. So they, they make that deal that mm-hmm. way. They're not purely doing salary dumps in that way. So I don't think that that part of it is so that the arbitration part of it isn't as appealing. It would definitely be earlier free agency. And I think to piggyback off of your point, Paul. It is bad for small markets. And the problem is, is that baseball has been balancing its competition on the backs of the players for a long time now. That is how they have decided to do competitive balance, really since Mm -hmm. that became a thing in the 90s where there was this wide gap that opened up between the rich teams and the poor teams that hadn't really existed before in baseball. The way that they, they got around that was by the small market teams figuring out, well, if we can get guys, young players on good contracts, lock them in through their 20s and then let them go at the end of their 20s, we can still be competitive and compete with the big boys on a year in, year out basis. And so anything that's going to take away from that, unless it's adjusted for on the other side, is going to hurt small market teams disproportionately to large market teams. But that isn't a reason not to do it. Nope, that's what. That's why I said it's player friendly and right. it is player friendly. And you're right. Uh, it's I hate it when people say baseball doesn't have a salary cap because baseball has like three salary caps. It, it <laughs> uh, it's loaded with salary caps and it's a misnomer to say that that is the case. Um, they have the luxury tax and they have they have the cap on players salaries for the first six years of their their major league careers, that right. which is often the primes of their careers. So um, like baseball has tons of cost control and you're absolutely right. That's what they have used for competitive balance forever. Um, and it does rob players of their often their best earning time period when they're really entering and at their prime, especially so. pitchers. It really hurts pitchers uh, uh, because yes. so many of them have such short careers. Think of how valuable Tim Linscombe was to the Giants. And it was really only because they were so desperate to keep having him as like a face of the franchise that they paid him money for one year contracts well beyond the point when it made any sense realistically to do so. So he kind of lucked out that he was able to make some money towards the tail end. But otherwise, really, he was by the time he was a free agent, by the time he was eligible to start making real money, he was already pretty much washed. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, what, a five year career, basically, is what you remember. it He was dominant for, yeah, about five, six years. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's just crazy how that works out. I guess while we're on the topic of the CBA and and the labor stuff this winter, Devin Bearwolf is asking, assuming there's not a lockout 
am I the only one kind of looking forward to the Brewers hopefully trading Josh Hader in hopes of getting a difference maker for the offense? Paul, I know you said that's the top of your list. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that that will be one of the interesting things to watch this offseason. I think it is fairly likely that that's going to happen. It's it is more likely than my Brandon Woodruff hobby horse idea. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that's that is likely. But the idea that there's not going to be a lockout, um, let's just disabuse that notion right now. There's going to be a lockout. I would bet sizable sums of money on it. There's going to be a lockout. The question is how long it goes, not yeah. if there is one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's 100 percent true. It, it's it's how negotiating starts on these things with either a strike or a lockout. Um, and so it Ryan's right. It will happen. I mean, it would be almost unprecedented if they both came to the table before things get started and managed to hammer out an agreement. It's just not going to happen. No, these sides don't trust each other at all. The nope. players do not trust the owners and they shouldn't because the owners have routinely manipulated and lied and, you know, screwed with the market on them. And they shouldn't trust them because the owners will do everything they can to crush them because that's what Rob Manfred is. That's why he has this job. Let's be very, very clear. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of baseball because he crushed the players in multiple nego CBA negotiations in a row. Completely and utterly crushed them. That's why he's the commissioner. And who does the commissioner give the World Series trophy to first? All the time. It's the ownership group, the right? Owners, mm -hmm. Yep. Ownership yeah. first. By the way, guys, that is not normal. If you go no. over to European football... Uh, it is the captain of the team that hoists the trophy first. It is their privilege and their prerogative to be the first one to get their hands on the trophy and to be the one to hoist it up. It is not given to some smarmy owner. It is not given to some front office dork. It is even given to a, a head coach. It is the captain of the team that hoists the trophy first. And that's yeah. the way it should be. I mean, yeah, yeah the, correct. The players are the ones who actually won the thing. So, yes. <laughs> I guess to obvious. the Braves guy's credit, he handed it over to Snicker almost immediately. But yeah, by that point, uh, Manfred was long gone. So uh, yeah, if that's any indication of that relationship. <laughs> uh, I guess on a brighter side, well, not a brighter side, but a, a, a less doom and gloom. Um, you know, we're, we got the announcing schedules out uh, for the next year. Bob Uecker still planning to be back. Uh, according to all accounts, uh, Jeff Lavering going to get more TV time as well. Uh, that leads us to Adam Post's question. He saw recently Brian Anderson will only be announcing 50 Brewers games next season. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer to see. But, you know, his his profile with Turner continues to expand. They give him more national opportunities there. So Adam's question is, how soon do you think he will move on and no longer announce any Brewers games? How much will him leaving affect the television broadcast experience? Uh, Ryan, your thoughts on Brian Anderson uh, seeing his time with the Brewers maybe wind down a little bit. Well, it's amazing we've gotten him as long as we have because, frankly, right. he has it's been like had, a decade. Well, more than that. He came in 2007. Yeah. He replaced Sutton oh, for geez, the 2007 yeah. season. Uh, wow. So he yeah. had that first team that was competitive. That first one that made a run at the playoffs in 2007. That was Brian Anderson's rookie year. And then you know, from the Ryan Braun call in 2008 and on through now. Mm -hmm. It is a question of what job is going to come that's going to say, finally, okay, this is now my full-time gig. And I've always kind of wondered if Jim Nance were to have retired, I could see yeah. him doing that because he's a golf guy. 
So getting the Masters and whatever else big golf tournaments uh, CBS has, as well as the Final Four, that would be right in his wheelhouse. He's called college basketball and NBA forever. Uh, he would not have baseball so much at that point, but he would do the NFL, and he has done some NFL calling, and I'm sure would be good at it. So I could see him getting the Jim Nance role or a Jim Nance-like role in in some way. Uh, I just don't know how soon any of that's going to open up. I think he's happy doing what he's doing, and he's down to 50 games a year with the Brewers, and my understanding is it's only going to be home games. He's not going to travel with the team at all now. So it will be that, and frankly, that's fine. That's that's great. Uh, Jeff Levering does a really good job. I enjoyed him a lot on the TV over the last year or two when we've seen him on the mm-hmm. TV. And the Brewers are now looking for a, another radio guy to do road games with Lane Grindle. So, yeah, I think Levering will still do home games with Euchre when he's not doing TV. Right. And then, you know, the road games will be uh, Grindle and this other guy. So whoever they hire. Well, I shouldn't say guy because it might not be. Hopefully it won't be. They should reach out. Lisa Byington is now the the number one uh, Bucks. She replaced Jim Paschke this mm-hmm. winter. Yeah. Could see a change like go. that happening too. That'd be very good. Yeah. Yep. I'm surprised they still have Anderson. And yeah, I think uh, it's writings on the wall there pretty soon. He'll move on to probably more expensive, but less frequent things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's quickly transitioning kind of into the face of Turner, you know, especially with Marv Albert finally retiring and, and all of that. He's, he's becoming the number one guy there, and and Turner can pay you a lot of money, and they've got a lot of sports now. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's, yeah, those NBA games, they've got some March Madness, they've got the MLB package, like, he'll, he'll be plenty busy. Uh, and good for him, too, because he's, like, by all accounts, a great dude, and like you guys have said, we've been lucky to be able to listen to him for 15 years. But I think, uh, if anything, there probably won't be much of a step down in TV. Like, I, I'm a huge Jeff Levering fan. He's great. Uh, it's not easy to adapt from radio to TV uh, and do it as quickly as he's been asked to do it. And he, he's really done it seamlessly. And, you know, the Brewers have shown time and time again that they they have a really good eye for these talents you know there's just the list of guys who have come through milwaukee i know when they did euchre's 50th and they had kind of that panel of euchre's sidekicks or what have you like it was just a who's who uh, across baseball now you know well uh, he's got uh, yeah what about a, a third no not a third but maybe a quarter something like that of the of the current radio lead radio guys in baseball mm-hmm. were at one point euchre sidekick yeah like it really is that that big that chair is a, a gateway to doing bigger and better things so exactly and i think that kind of helps them get great candidates too right you have that reputation of kind of being that pipeline it's funny Absolutely. we talked last week about being the front office pipeline they've also kind of become you know the play-by-play pipeline and you learn from the best and it's a great place to kind of cut your teeth so i'm not too worried about uh the future there in terms of that but uh Best luck to Brian, and we'll just enjoy those games that we get them because that chemistry with Rock too is is something. Uh, it's hard to replicate that too. All right, uh, we also have some Twitter questions before we wrap up this week. A reminder: you can always send those questions to at MKE Tailgate on Twitter. Uh, we've got Allspurge. I I never know how to say that, but you I know, think you've got it right. 
Okay, we got that. Uh, so they're asking, will this offseason have the least amount of roster turn turnover in David Stearns' tenure? This is an interesting question, Paul. What do you think? Uh, it's hard to predict um, because you never know who they're just going to let go. But I kind of think yes. I think um, a lot of their positions are set. More of their core pitching is set than usual to the extent that people aren't coming back. Um, Avi Garcia, notwithstanding, it's sort of backups and middle relievers and that's kind of it um so yeah i I think that's probably true i don't know if it's literally true because i'm I'm not looking and going person by person but i feel like we've had big overhauls for many seasons and i don't think you're going to get that this time so yeah i think that's that's correct 100 percent agree i'm looking at the the list right now and yeah i think we're going to see a a pretty stable roster as stable as it's been in the david stern's era because there has been so much turnover though We've said this before where we're like, oh, well, they don't need to make a ton of changes here. They have a bunch of young guys to let it sort <laughs> out. And the next thing you know, they've brought in Lorenzo Cain and have traded everybody for <laughs> Christian Yelich. So who right. the hell knows? But I would I would anticipate it not being too big an upheaval, though there will be some there will be some notable changes made and probably at least one big trade. So there will be some change, but I think it's going to be largely pretty stable. All right, one last free agency question before we wrap things up this week comes from Chris Nielsen. He actually asked a couple of questions about the non-Avi free agents you want to see the team resign. We covered that, uh, but he's also asking, are there any marginal, i.e. not top 25 free agent list types we should be hoping to land in Milwaukee or guys blocked by top 10 position prospects we should hope Stearns and the crew acquire? Uh Ryan, what do you think under the radar guys that they might add, which has kind of become like this team's specialty, right? Yeah, I mean, truly under the radar guys like Trevor Gott. <laughs> like that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of what you're talking about there. Uh, I, did, I do think we already talked about the other guys. So it, we're, we're really focusing just on the under the radar guys here. Is that right? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there are some guys that I think they could look at as uh, rotation guys that especially if they were to move a starter if they were to move like Brandon Woodruff I could see them going out and bringing in an Andrew Heaney or a uh, Danny Duffy guys like that that could be potentially brought in on a one-year prove-it deal and then the next thing you know the Brewers pitching lab has turned them into much better pitchers than they were previously so I could see some some moves like that as far as off the radar moves uh I don't know, uh, maybe a, a, some catcher backup situation, because right now with it, Pena being a free agent and their next they guy in line being Maley. Yeah. Yeah. Luke Maley and then uh, Feliciano, like those guys. See, you probably would think they would bring in somebody there. And that's very much in the Brewers wheelhouse of they would bring in a guy. We'd be like, oh, that guy, I guess. And then next thing you know. <laughs> He's gone from being a bad defender to being like one of the best pitch framers in the game <laughs> and is also doing well on offense. So because yeah. that's just how they roll. Yeah. Paul, any thoughts on under the radar guys? Um, uh, cheap, old, maybe retired. But um, as the <laughs> sh- sh- side of a platoon at third and first base, I actually wouldn't mind seeing Ryan Zimmerman show up, uh, who is an old man who used to have an elite bat. But worth noting that he's a right-handed hitter and against lefties for the last two seasons, he has an OPS over 900. Um, and uh, so, you know, as long as you don't expect too much out of him and pick his matchups, um, he can still give you a couple of innings at first and third, and he can actually serve as a, 
a masher against lefties and people try and uh, have their, their lefties uh, pitch in Miller Park because of the short porch. So um, that's backwards. I should take that back. Whatever they need. They could use Brady power. They don't, they don't have, they never have enough and he'll cost nothing because he's almost done playing baseball. There you go. That would be a very Stearns signing too. Yeah. We should just look for lefty bats that could play well, you know, kind of underperformed. So uh, I'm sure. Yeah. There's going to be more of the Trevor Gott types, right? Where the pitching lab could turn them into a freak. Uh, I'm fascinated by John Gray. I'm sure he'll get a multi-year deal out of the Brewers price range, but the idea of him coming to Milwaukee and them finally unlocking whatever he has is very enticing to me too. Uh, but that dude's going to end up in San Francisco, right? Like he's going to go to San Francisco probably. and they're going to unlock it the same way the Brewers yep. probably would. And that here's a name for you. How about Andrew McCutcheon as a guy to, mm. to move over and play in right field for the Brewers next year? I could see that working. He had uh, yeah. 27 yeah. homers last year. Keith Law was talking about him. 242 Babbitt for his worst career Babbitt. So there's maybe something there. And, you know, he's Kutch, and that would be cool. So <laughs> Likewise, getting up there in age, too. Cool. But, he's only 35. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he was a high yeah. school guy in that 2005 class. So he's quite a bit younger than Ryan Braun. There you go. All right. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, lots of good questions. As always, uh, when you sign up to become a patron, you get question priority and you get a shout out here. And we've actually got a few new names to shout out this week. Ryan, who do we have? We do. And I need to get back to that page. I was looking at Keith Law's list here. Uh, we have Patrick Detmer, uh, Alex uh Oh, Machia. Oh, that's probably wrong. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> and um, Jared Vogeltans. So I think I got the, the first and the last one right, but sorry about that, Alex. Uh, uh, we don't promise the names will be correct, just that I'll say them. Yeah, between Ryan and Paul, we have two guys who have no idea how to say anybody's names. So, uh, yeah. I still don't know how I to pro- properly pronounce your last name, James. I, I would say uh, it wrong, does. I'm sure. <laughs> My own family doesn't seem to. That it's like one of those where like half the family says it one way, half says the other, and it's just yeah, whatever you're feeling that day, apparently. So, uh, you know, when when you're you've had more than thirty years of people mispronouncing your name, you kind of get a little bit more lax about it, and you stop caring after a while. Actually, so that's that is the the conundrum our host chair always finds itself in. See Steve yeah. Gershinsky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's just just tradition here so yeah uh yeah once again sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month will get you in the door five bucks a month you get all that extra content as well and as always we would appreciate it if you do leave us a review and rating for this podcast wherever you do listen to us uh if you leave it on the Apple Podcast app, Paul will literally read anything you write in the review. If you give us five stars, that uh, theory was really put to the test last week. Yeah, we sure was. It. Uh, so uh, we just appreciate the five star reviews. Uh, it helps more people find the podcast, and you know, more of you for us to talk with, and and that's great. So uh, while you're there, please do also hit that subscribe button as well, whether that is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you do get those podcasts. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, As always, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll have some off-season news to talk about next week. Otherwise, we're going to have to like 
try to do name that brewer or something again to kill some time until the CBA expires. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, stay well, everybody. We will see you next time here on the Walkies Tailgate.